In a world where it seems like there is so much going wrong, I want you to see the people who spend their lives doing good. Welcome to the Doing Good Podcast, where we discuss the stories of people who are changing the world in their own way. I'm your host, Carmen Herbert, and I'm so excited to have on the podcast today the amazing Smith Alley. So Smith is an 18-year-old kid. After struggling with mental health and pornography for much of his early life, he decided to use his love for business to help people by starting his company, Protech Strong. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, this is a big, long word for me to say. And his nonprofit foundation, the Live Life Bigger Foundation. When he's not attending his billiards class at Utah State University, he's speaking to youth groups across the country, creating informative content for parents on social media or thinking of creative ways to help more families thrive in a dark area. He's already accomplished so much as an 18-year-old kid. I can't wait to see how bright the future is for you, Smith. Thank you for coming on Doing Good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to have a good conversation. And hopefully, as always, my goal is just to shed some light and open up conversations and make people feel like they aren't alone. So I think it is so brave of you to talk about your struggles and trials and hopefully have people learn through your experience the hope and joy that can come after being in the darkest place that you've ever been in. It takes such bravery and courage to do that. And oh my goodness, Smith, like we need bravery and courage from youth like you now more than ever. So I think it's amazing that you are able, that you've been able to discover a talent for speaking and and business through such a difficult trial. So I want to talk about all of that. First of all, Smith and I like know each other in a roundabout way. So it, I grew up in Bountiful and, and Smith's family is from Bountiful. They were in our stake. We just found out like we have, he has a relative that was in our ward. And so, but we've never met, which is crazy to me. But so it's, it's so fun that we have this connection. Bountiful like has my heart. It always will. So tell me about what it was like for you growing up in, in Bountiful, Utah and what your childhood was like. And tell me a little bit about what your parents had taught you or talked to you about pornography when you were growing up. Yeah, I think it's funny. We always say, I'm surprised you're not still in Bountiful because we always say, you know, you grow up in Bountiful, you leave for a little bit, and then you always come back. You come back. I married a Utah County boy. And they and the only thing that will take me away from Bountiful is a Utah County boy. And he stole me away past point of the mountain. And that's like the point of no return. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I was raised by a really, really good family. I have three sisters. So I always say I'm team estrogen. Yeah. I, my parents are churchgoers and we've always been active and I grew up going to church every Sunday and life was very normal for me. Yeah. I remember one day in, it was the first day of first grade. I was so excited for school. I was always a pretty good student. I kind of have a knack for learning and I, I have a really good brain. It's, you know, it's, it's one of my, it's one of my strengths for sure. Yeah. And so I was really good at school. I loved the social aspect of school. And there was even this girl that I really liked in, in kindergarten and first grade. And in kindergarten, we had gone to the zoo together. And on the way home from the <laughs> zoo, in the backseat of her mom's minivan, she had kissed me on the cheek. And so I was just on cloud nine, right? Going first to, grade love. Yeah. And so this first day of first grade, you know, life just seemed normal before then. And I sat down at this table, class started, and our teacher said that we were going to introduce ourselves one by one. And when it came to be my turn, I stood up and I got really nervous. And I saw this girl over by the purple table. And I was just nervous. You know, I I had to impress her. I hadn't seen her all summer. You know, I had to show her that I was still the man. Right. And I had a speech impediment when I was little. It's a starter, but at the beginning of my words. So they call it. It's not a stutter. It's a starter. It's a starter. Okay. And in fact, sometimes you can still hear it in my voice when my thoughts are racing. Anyway, I stood up and I got really nervous and I said, my name's Smith. And I was just so disappointed in myself. I was flustered and embarrassed. And I, I sat down and this girl from the red table, she turned around and she looked me straight in the eyes and said, why can't you talk right? And I always say that that's the first day that I got my very first paper cut. 
and it's not a paper cut on our hands, but the paper cuts on our hearts. And the difference is that as a kid, you know, little kids love band-aids, right? They love to put band-aids on paper cuts, on cuts, even when they don't have anything wrong with them. They love yeah. band-aids. Yeah. But I, along with, I think a lot of our current and previous generations wasn't taught how to heal from a, a an emotional and a mental paper cut. And so those paper cuts just tend to to grow larger and they bleed more and they get worse and worse and worse. And in reality, like in my mind today, I look back and I don't remember having this this starter in, in kindergarten, right? No, no one pointed it out to me. I felt like I was a normal kid, but that day I felt like I was different. And I bought into this belief that Oh, because I'm so different than everyone else, because I can't do something as basic as talk the right way. I'm less than than everyone else. And in my mind, that meant that I wasn't good enough to make my parents proud or to have friends who cared about me. And, you know, I'd gone to primary learning that, well, Jesus died for us so that we can become better. And he died for all of us. But all of a sudden in my mind, like I'm not grouped with everyone else, right? I'm I'm a step below everyone else. And so I kind of bought into the this belief that even 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 God above didn't love me, right? I was I was too too low for his love. And that's that's how life went. Then in the third grade, I was exposed to pornography for the first time online. And I remember seeing this picture when I clicked on a link that wasn't what I thought it was. And like, just as context, my parents were the very proactive, very good parents about this. They were like the strict parents in the neighborhood. People everywhere, everyone that knew my parents, they'd come to them and say, oh, what conversations should we be having? What restrictions or filters should we have on our devices? Like they were very proactive. And so I remember having this conversation with them and remembering that when I see porn, I should turn it off and tell an adult. And so I turned this tablet off and I set it down and I thought about that second part to tell an adult. And immediately my mind went back to that kid that I was in the first grade. And I was scared that even though it wasn't my fault, I hadn't gone searching for what I'd just seen, that my parents would be disappointed in me or ashamed of me. And so I didn't tell them about the experience and I kind of just swept it under the rug until about a year later when it crept back into my life as a small drug. It was a fix to everything that I was feeling and dealing with. And it, it started to consume me. And at the same time, I, I got social media and I'd get online and compare my boring life to everybody's seemingly perfect life, them hanging out with friends or going on vacation. And at the same time, I'd see these guys on, on social media that had washboard and they were posing on the beach. And I was, you can tell today, like, that's not me. I always say I'm team dad bod now and forever. And that that wasn't me. Like, I was always the big kid at in elementary school. My best friend was this small kid who, like, literally since first grade had, had abs. And during recess, I remember he'd have me put on his coat and I'd walk around to the playground and sing, fat guy in a little coat. And, you know, just... Classic. Yeah, I continued to to hate myself and my body, the situations that I found myself in. I thought that everybody's life was great and mine mine was just terrible and I I I couldn't understand why. And this this cycle of mental health and dealing with the depression and continually trying to numb out with pornography and video games and social media and just trying to escape the reality that I was living because I hated it. It led me down a very dark path where in that eighth grade, I remember sitting in my woodshop class when I, I made a plan to take my life. And I didn't, I didn't think that there was, there was hope for me anymore. I, I decided that the two paths that I could end up on would be in prison or dead. And like, that's where I saw my life going. And ultimately, again, I didn't, I didn't think that Christ's atonement was for me. I thought that I was too low for that. I thought that I had gone too far down the wrong path to to receive that atonement. And um, so I thought, I'm going to go to hell, you know. So if I'm just going to go to hell, I might as well make that quick. I might as well just go now. And it was two days before 
I I had this plan to take my life and I found Fight the New Drug on, on social media. And I learned through their research that I wasn't a bad kid, but I was a good kid who was wrapped up and enslaved. And my brain was literally being changed by the stuff that I was watching. And for the first time, I had hope that that like that I wasn't just pure evil because for so long, I just thought that my core was evil and I, I tried to hide it by a, a facade of good because I was, I, I was a good kid. I am a good kid. And, you know, I was the kid that smiled at everyone and I was pretty popular and I, I always got good grades and I was a really good athlete despite my dad bod. And I was, I was really good at all of that stuff. Yet, I thought that because of this one action, because of this one thing that consumed me, that I was evil. The next day after finding Fight the New Drug, a guy named Rob Eastman came into my eighth grade health class and talked to us about his story with substance abuse and with suicide. He, he told his story where after abusing for about 15 years, having lost his best friend to suicide, having lost his, his house and his wife and his daughter, he went and said his last goodbye to his daughter, who was at the time one year old, went up above the Bountiful Temple and sat there with, with a, a gun in his mouth. And he said, he, he said that he felt the need to pray for his, to his mother's God, because he had long, long given up on on religion but he knew that his mom was a bit very god-fearing woman and she wanted he wanted her to have to go to her god with questions and so he he knelt down and he closed his eyes and he said a prayer and he said he said i don't know much about the still small voice that, that you guys talk about i'm gonna need something a little louder and if i don't get an answer before i open my eyes i'm gonna pull this trigger and as he was about to open his eyes, he heard fireworks start to go off above the Bountiful Temple. And it was August 31st. There was no reason for fireworks to be going off. And he heard a voice that said, is that loud enough for you? Uh -huh. And he lit, just laid there on the ground crying. And when he shared that story with me and with this class, like you could just feel, you could feel the spirit. And then seeing who he is, you know, a coach a life coach, a gym owner, a successful entrepreneur. Like it gave me hope to see that this path that I had, I had just for the first time recognized this path of redemption, that it was possible for me because up until then, the only examples that I'd seen in my life were my dad's best friend who struggled with pornography addiction for 20 years and ended up, you know, just completely destroying his family and just a, a, a complete story of, of the opposite of redemption. And that, that's what I'd grown up with. And that's what I, that's a path that I thought I was on. And so this guy showed me that there was still hope for me. And I had a change of heart, not quite a change of habit until the end of that year, when I had my first and last encounter with the, with the law and, um, my dad, having been in the military, my mom was raised one of 10 kids. They are, they're the strict people in the neighborhood. And I remember just a, a day of full of emotions. It was the first time I ever saw my dad cry. And after this blow up day, I was sitting in my room pondering this quote that I love. And it's how far can you go down the wrong path before you can't get back onto the right one? And I thought that I'd done it, you know, I, I couldn't get back from this. I didn't know what my future was going to look like. And my mom came down to my room that night and she grabbed my face and she said, Smith, I will fight for you, but you have to fight for yourself first. And with tears in my eyes, I said, okay, mom, I'll fight. I promise. I promise you that I'll fight. And she said, great, you have an appointment tomorrow with it, with, with your bishop. And I was like, you know, I'm going to be sick tomorrow. Can we start <laughs> like Thursday? But in reality, that that's where it turned that, that, reaction of love and of hope and those people again just simple people who had gone through it offering their stories to me you know now I get to work closely with fight the new drug I go into their office all the time I love everyone that works there I'm good friends with Clay Olson who founded it Rob Eastman who, who he's just a broken soul who's willing to share his story 
that's what I've tried to to base my life off of because I'm the same way. And, you know, I went near the brink of death and came back to tell my story and to to show people that they aren't alone and to try and offer some help and some resources, not in the way that I'm like some parenting expert or tech genius, but I've been there and I've gone through it and I've walked the walk in both bad and good. And now I'm just trying to to shed some light. So that's that's me. That's my story, probably more than <laughs> more than expected. Okay. I first of all cried to that whole thing from the very first story that you shared about being this sweet first grader. I have a second grader right now, but I subbed in his class for three months last year. He had a transition of teachers and so he didn't have one for a while. So I was able to volunteer and sub in his in his class. And and it's interesting how they're so little and yet you feel such big emotions as just seven-year-old little kids. And that those little experiences, like your starter experience where you introduce yourself, are like seared in your in your mind and in your heart. And it it really can crush these tender little heart self-esteem and when you talk about the paper cuts on your heart like you know maybe it's just one here one there one there and pretty soon you're bleeding out and pretty soon it's like I don't know how to repair this and it that that's what that's what got me that first sweet story I'm just like I want to just like reach to the screen and give you a hug because it's so difficult as a mother to watch our kids go through hard things. And I can just imagine your mom, what she must be have been going through throughout all of your trials and struggles. And I just want to let you know, like, as a mother, I, I, I had no idea. I knew my mom loved me. I knew that. I, I, I knew she loved me. I knew the Savior loved me. I had no idea, like, the depth of a mother's love until I became one. So, and then that made me think if I would literally be willing to lay my life down for my kids, how much more our heavenly father and how much pure his love is for you. And, and the fact that you were like, I even thought I was past that love, past God's love is, is just, it's, it makes you, it's a harsh reminder of how real Satan is that he can trick you into believing such an absolutely abhorrent, untrue lie that because you are. And, and it reminded me of the quote when you said, I thought I was past God's love and past the point of no return from Elder Holland. And he said, however late you think you are, however many chances you think you've missed, however many mistakes you you feel you've made or talents you think you don't have, however far from home and family and God you've traveled, I testify that you have not traveled beyond the reach of divine love. So I want to ask you, when you initially came across pornography and didn't tell your parents, when did they first find out that this was a struggle for you? When, when was the first time that they, you said, I have something to tell you. I've been looking at pornography. How old were you? How long had you struggled before you approached them or before they found out? I yeah they didn't find out until the police I uh, called them that day five years later five years and, later uh, yeah then that's the whole thing is that yes my parents knew that something that that there was something that was going on right they, they didn't know what it was but growing up I was just this extremely happy kid as a as a baby I'd sit in the, a room and look at a wall and laugh and I'd entertain myself like that and they didn't they didn't, you know, they saw that, de- like that demeanor and that light kind of fade. Yeah. They didn't know what was going on. I was so good at hiding it. I was yeah. so good at putting on masks and hiding my, my digital trail and my digital footprint. And my parents are now 50, like they're old and they don't know how to, they don't know how to handle that, the technology. They didn't know how to, you know. By the time I was seven, I could navigate search history better than they could, right? And so there was 
There was no way for them to know what was happening. I never let them catch me. I've always been like quick on my feet. Again, I'm super smart. I'm just always, always ready with a response. Oh, why are you doing this? Why did you spend so much time in, in your room? Why did you spend, you know, all of these questions? There was no problem. I was so good at hiding them. Did they ever ask you outright? Are you looking at pornography? Have you, did they ever ask you that outright? Yeah, we had, we had conversations we, uh, about every, once every other month on average of, you know, we get together, we talk about online safety and we talk about pornography and they'd ask us, hey, when, when was the last time? Oh yeah, I saw it like, you know, six weeks ago or something like that. Sorry, I didn't tell you. I, you know, I just turned it off, right? Just lies, lies. And this is how, by the way, like most kids are living. And this is how a majority of, of kids are dealing with their struggles and they're just by hiding that. And I think that, you know, we, we talked about giving practical advice. This is the first thing is that my parents said over and over again, if you see pornography, we know it's not your fault. Come to us. We'll never get mad at you, right? We're yeah. going to love you. But then I'll leave my underwear on the floor of the bathroom and freak out, right? Why can't you keep the, the bathroom clean? Why are you always so messy? It's not that hard. Just pick up your underwear when you get out of the shower and take it into your room with you, right? And a child's mind doesn't understand that there's a difference between those things. So a child's mind says, and even a, an adolescent mind, a teenage mind says, okay, they freak out at me for the little things. Now, what I'm doing right now is actually, you know, what I'm doing over here in the dark, in the, in the corner, behind closed doors, it's about 100 times worse than, than leaving my underwear out. Right. So let's, let's strapulate that consequence or that reaction of the underwear by 100. I don't want to deal with that. Right. Like, well, if, okay, you say you're not going to get mad at me, but then you freak out at the little things. So in your mind, you're like, they're mad about underwear on the ground. There's no way I'm going to tell them about everything else I'm doing because they will freak out. And as a mom, I'm like, no, like being responsible for keeping your clothes clean and having an addiction. Of course, we would approach that and treat it differently. But that makes sense to me that you would think in your mind, yeah, there's no way if you if you get mad at the little things, there's no way I'm going to tell you about the big things. So would that be maybe your first point of advice for parents is you can't you can't freak out about the little things if you want your kids to talk to you about the big things they're struggling with. Yeah, and of course like no one's perfect and we're all going to mess up and I know that when I'm a parent I'm going to mess up and I'm probably going to yell at my kids for something stupid. But I also think, so I, I mean, there's two things here. One, for any parents listening, there's this thing called an apology and it's okay for you to use it. Like I know <laughs> that you've never done that ever before, but it's okay for you to go to your kid and say, hey, I totally treated that, that situation wrong and I'm so sorry. And I really shouldn't have acted like that. It's not your fault well, whatsoever, right? Because the parents will be like, I'm so sorry I acted that way, but it's, can you please just keep your bathroom clean? There's no, there's no buts. No buts. Don't add the but. Ooh, that's hard though. It's, it's yeah. hard. I will admit as a parent to not do that. Yeah. Like, but because you're like, but please tell me again why you went to school without your shoes. Don't you know you wear shoes every day? Like that's a dumb thing to do, but I love you. But how could you forget to wear your shoes? Right. <laughs> you know? And, yeah, you're right. Yeah, so, so that's a, it's a big, no but. big, yeah, yeah, it's a big struggle to to act that way. The second thing is start a no trouble bubble in your house. I like that. Sounds no like trouble bubble. Kids. Okay. But this is something that I used up until the day that I moved out. Okay. And set up a space in your house. It's called the no trouble bubble. This does a lot for parents and for kids. So parents, when your kid comes to you and instead of just saying, hey, mom, I watch porn. Right. And it just all parents have had those conversations where some kid, your kids just walk up to you and they drop like this atomic bomb on you. And sometimes it's like while you're preparing dinner and so yeah. this will prevent that so that you have some time to think. So they come to you and they say, hey, mom, can we go talk in the little trouble bubble? And you have about 15 to 30 seconds to think and to breathe and to remember your script while you walk there. 
after you're in the no trouble bubble, no matter what your kid tells you, there's three things that you can do or say. Okay. Uh, you say, I love you. You give them an eight second hug and you ask them how you can best support them in becoming the person that they want to be, not in the person that you want them to be. And after that, the conversation's done. There's no consequences that day. This is another thing that it helps parents with. How many times as a parent do you guys, you, you react to this situation, you know, whether it's something big or small, like you have underwear on the floor, you're grounded for today, right? How many times do you react to that situation? And then the next day you're like, man, I really wish I would have said that differently. Or that night you lay down next to your spouse and you tell them what happened. And they're like, you really told them that? You really did that? You're crazy. Like, what? why, why did you do that? And so this time to you stop, you tell them you love them, you give them a hug, you ask them how you can support them. You now have 24 hours before you even start to talk about consequences. Okay, so you're not saying there's no consequences, just not in the moment, not in the no trouble bubble. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And so, I mean, that gives, of course, there's going to be consequences. It's a natural part of life, but this gives, this gives you the opportunity to go do some research, talk to your spouse, like just think and breathe and calm down before you start talking about these consequences. And also, not just consequences, but what are your next steps as a family? Because so many, so many families get to this point where they have a kid who is struggling with pornography and all they do is, well, what consequences should I give them? And there needs to be a bigger, well, yeah, there's going to be consequences. There's a, life is already going to deal those out. I have so many natural consequences from my years viewing pornography that I hate, by the way. Like, I hate that I had to train myself not to objectify women. You know, and I was 11 years old. There are so many natural consequences. The bigger question, and of course, there's going to be those, but the bigger question should be, what, what are our next steps as a family? And what are we going to do together? And by the way, parents, you're going to have to put in as much or more work than your kid. Yeah. No matter what they're dealing with to, to reconcile the, the situation. And the honest truth is that you as a parent messed up. And this is why you, you know, as a parent, you can use an apology because you probably wrapped up an iPhone or an iPad or a tablet thinking, oh, you know, they've wanted this forever. You didn't think, oh, I wish that I, I hope that they get a porn addiction from this. I hope that they develop an eating disorder because of the things that they see on social media. I hope that they just feel so worthless that they don't want to live anymore. Right. I don't believe that anybody, anybody thought that. No, but you made a mistake and you handed it to them at probably too young of an age. And so, yeah, you're at fault. So I think that's a big thing. The second, uh, and another very relevant thing is that after the situation, there is no kid that has ever lived on the history of planet Earth that has recently had his parents find out that he's, he's watching porn. And so his parents take his phone and they yell at him and tell him to go to his room. And he walks into his room and sit, sits on his bed and is like, I think I'm feeling frustrated. Now, you know, let's unpack these feelings, right? You, your kid isn't a psychologist. Your kid isn't a therapist. They're angry and they're impulsive, just as everyone else is. And so I think the big, the big question is how can you replace the bad things that you're taking out? You know, you say, sorry, we messed up. Even if you're, you, haven't, you haven't uncovered an addiction or maybe your son or daughter's talking to a predator. Maybe you haven't uncovered these big things. But maybe you've decided that, hey, we gave them technology too early and you say sorry for it. But you can't just pull those things out and leave nothing in, right? You have to replace yeah. those things with, with better things. Yeah. And that's what I love about living at, at my house now is, you know, for, yeah, for a few years it was rough, but we really changed how we lived and yeah. we really changed that. And, you know, you walk into my house and I'm, I'm here at my parents' house now and I can't see a, a TV or a tablet or anything in sight, right? Like I have a pile of board games behind me. I, 
like there's building blocks over there on the counter. We really replace those things with an environment that allows us to be screen free, to spend more time connecting with each other, to really, you know, be involved in in conversations with each other. And that's huge because parents all the time, they're like, hey, our son's struggling with pornography. Can you come and help us and talk to us? And they're doing nothing for them, right? They're what are you willing to change? Yeah. And yeah. maybe they're offering some counseling and they're, they're getting their son or daughter some counseling. But in, in reality, it's like, okay, you're going to surround your kid with an Xbox and a TV and a phone and a laptop and millions of, of possibilities to numb themselves out and to find entertainment that's useless and that, yeah. that offers them, them no character building or anything of those sorts. And yet you're like, why don't you spend more time outside? Right. And it's like, mom, dad, with what? Like the, the football that's sat in the garage deflated for three years. Right. The, there's no, there's, there's no option. So in, and especially in our family, again, all of this just comes from experiences. We've had to change our lifestyle. My mom swore to my dad the day that she married him that he or any of their kids would never, never have a motorcycle. And when all of this happened, I'm like, mom, I want to get my first motorcycle. And she had to come to the, you know, she came to the realization that the danger that I might face out on a dirt bike or on a motorcycle, you know, sure. maybe getting a broken bone or a broken yeah. rib, who cares? Yeah. It was far less than the dangers that I was facing under her own roof, like sitting at home, because that danger nearly led me to not only my physical death, but my spiritual death. Yeah. And, you know, I was separated from God and I didn't like that. And so I think I think that those are all really Im important things. And, you know, I, I just want to emphasize that pornography is a girl's problem, too. And that's actually a really big project that I'm working on right now, because, you know, 98 percent of the parents that talk to me about their kids struggles with pornography are parents that talk to me about their sons. Yet 40% of kids who talk to me about their struggles are, are girls. And so there's this huge discrepancy that boy moms are willing to talk about their son's pornography addiction. Yeah. Girls are continually struggling in silence. And I think that the stigma there is even worse because we think it's a man's problem and it's not. It's, it's everyone. Right. And so I'm working on a, a video series right now that's going to hopefully open up those conversations. But yeah, that I mean... Those are just some of my my biggest pieces of advice. I love it. I actually have a, a online workshop coming out soon called Raising Kids in Combat. It's how you raise your kids in, in 2022. I love uh, it. And so any parents listening that want more resources, if, if you follow me at live.life.bigger on Instagram, you'll see that coming out. That is amazing, Smith. So it's a pretty bold statement that you made and I and and I don't disagree with you but it is a bold and maybe maybe unpopular statement of you put pornography into your kids hands when you give them a smartphone or a tablet or a new lap or access to internet while they're gaming you're a, you're you're handing it to them and that that is pretty bold and I know they're it's interesting because my kids all have gab phones or a gab watch so they have there's no way to get on the internet with it. And when they're on the internet, it's like you have, I have to be in the room. Our computers are on our kitchen table. You have to ask permission. And even still, even still, there are things that pop up, even with filters, even with the internet. I even realized that one of our filters, they created a new account because they have a little YouTube channel with their cousins. So they created an account to get more likes and whatever on their YouTube channel. And it resets the settings when you do that. Like you can do who's using Google Chrome and you can create different profiles. And every time you create a profile, it resets the settings. I did not know this. So I just typed into my computer search bar, you know, something that would see if it filtered out. It did not. I mean, all sorts, and I'm a 37-year-old woman, all sorts of images that are still burned in my brain came up. And I'm like, this is something that I thought, oh, this is, I'm here and this is safe and I know what they're doing and but and our computer did not catch it. They were still able to google things and get around things. And so 
first of all, do you own a smartphone now? Yeah. So, but bef- what age would you say, okay, this is like kids, you said you got a smartphone when you were in third grade. And let's back up a little because you grew up at like the peak of 10 years ago when you were, you know, eight, nine years old and third grade when you were first exposed. We did not know the dangers of, we did not understand what smartphones and social media and the impact they would have. Thankfully, now there's been so much more research when people are like, what is happening to our children? They're falling one by one. But you, Smith, were like at the peak of this, like where it was awesome, Instagram, Facebook, and oh, you can talk with your friends. And and we had no idea what we were doing when we handed kids these phones. So would you say, yeah, gabs are trumies until they're in high school? No social media. Yeah, I mean, so so that's a hard that's a hard thing. I, I I don't think you can just umbrella it. I think that not only is every family going to be different, but every kid in every family is different, and they should be parented yeah. differently. For me, so I I had this little tablet. It was like one of those Android tablets that came out. That's what I got when I was little. Yeah, I didn't have a a phone until I was fourteen. I had like an iPod Touch. Which yeah. again, my parents thought, oh, that's so much better. It wasn't, you know, it was basically like a phone. And then when all of this came out, I went to a, a slide phone. I just had a little slider phone that I could text and call on. And, you know, for me and what I always what I always encourage kids to think about, especially when they're, you know, older and they're thinking about getting new social media platforms, ask why, you know. If your kid says, hey, mom, I want Instagram, why yeah. do you want Instagram? And be willing to listen to those reasons because they might be really good. For me, I hate social media. I hate it. I have to be on it. It's where I work. Yeah. Uh, when I first started my, my first company, I knew that I had to get on Instagram to grow and to get an audience. And I, there was a lady from Reno, Nevada who reached out and she was like, I do social, like virtual assisting and she ran my my instagram for about nine months before i took it back over and i was you know 16 and a half at the time yeah i wasn't ready for that my my mental state wasn't ready for that i still like felt like i was disintegrating every time that i got on on social media yeah and so i i like to ask kids why well why do you want instagram why do you want snapchat why do you want tiktok oh i want to grow a business on it that's a great reason Oh, you have art that you want to display and share with the world. That's a great reason. I'm a big believer that technology is a tool and that it can be used for, for a lot of great. It but I'm be. also not a believer in like the all or nothing method. Yeah. At the beginning, download it on you as the parent's phone and help them post and help them do all the stuff, right? And, le- and let it be monitored on your phone. But at some point too, you, they, they have to learn the self-control and this plan is a plan of agency and that that is a fact that will never change. And so for me, even though I have agency, I have restrictions on this. And I have told my mom over and over again that those restrictions will stay on here. She's going to keep paying for them. She's willing to do that to keep me safe. And the day that I get married, she'll give the password to my wife and my wife will have restrictions on my phones until the day that I die. And it's not because I feel restricted. It's because the things that I've set up on this make me feel safe and they make me feel like I have my agency because without them, I don't. Without them, I'm a slave to to the next trend or I'm a slave to to the next erotic picture that that pops up on, on my phone. And so these things and it's something that you have to learn it's something that kids have to learn is these things restrictions filters they're not they're not restricting they're free they they give you your opportunity to think and to do whatever you put your mind to because i will tell you that when i was a 14 year old kid i didn't even think i'd be alive for another year yeah not you know it definitely not be by the time i was 17 running a company and a nonprofit speaking around the country, yeah. like having two motorcycles, like that, it was a dream to me. Yeah. But because I've 
I've been able to find what real freedom means. And it doesn't mean having access to everything. Because in reality, when you give your kids a phone, when you give your kids technology, yep. not, it's not that you're just putting pornography into your hand. You're putting everything that's in this world into their hands. Yep. You're putting the greatest videos made by a monk in Budapest, right? You're putting the, the worst videos made by people who are living in, in the Brazilian favelas. Like you are putting everything into their hands. Yeah. And it can be used for a lot of good. And I've had to learn to do that. But it can also be very detrimental to their, their mental and their spiritual health. Yeah. And so I think it's just important to, to remember that and to focus on using technology as a tool. And again, that, that workshop that we have coming out teaches a ton of, about that and how you should kind of casual, not casually, but ease into technology. You shouldn't, you know, so many, so many parents, this is why our kids aren't going to have phones until they're 25. Yeah. Well, that's the worst idea. I like ideology that you could ever have. Like, so what are you going to do? Not give them anything. And then when they move out, they're going to go and they're going to buy themselves an Xbox and they're going to buy themselves a phone and they're not going to know how to handle it. Yeah. Too so much having, time. yeah, having these conversations and kind of easing into it is, is what, what has to be done. Well, that raising kids in combat course sounds incredible. And honestly, Smith, like I am just in awe of your wisdom as an 18 year old kid. And I know that comes from personal experience and because you've been there, done that, like, it's not just, Oh, Hey, listen to me. It's, it's, I've been there. I know what this is like, and this is what works for me. And I just cannot reiterate what you said about restrictions and, and, and commandments really, and standards and values those things give you agency. I just, I want to like drive that point home. It's not, oh, well, you can't do this. So you're not really free or you're not free to make your own choices. Like you said so beautifully, it's because you have, you're following these standards for yourself and these values and you have these restrictions in place on your phone that you are free, that you are able to be free in your mind and in your heart and in your soul you're not a slave to Satan. That's his biggest lie is you can do anything. Like, why would you have anyone ever tell you what to do? And Heavenly Father's like, man, if you follow these rules that I have for you, you will be free, free of those shackles and chains that the Satan so desperately wants to wrap around you. And I'm just like standing here, like giving you a standing ovation. I I think that, again, your courage and bravery and sharing your story is going to save lives. I know that. And parents out there that are just, what do I do? How can I help my kids that are so worried about saving them? You're just this bright light of hope of, no, you can live a very fulfilling life. But also, honestly, like I'm going to have these restrictions until the day I die. And my, my mom is going to give this password to my wife that you realize this is my life now because of the consequences, because I made these choices. Now I have to live life a little bit differently than someone else, but it still can be just as fulfilling and beautiful and incredible because of the atonement. And, and I'd love to just end with, with a question of how has the savior helped heal you and how has your faith and trust in him helped you go from that dark place of not wanting to live to living life bigger yeah i mean i think that's the big thing and that's something that i've i've tried to recognize more is that everything that people see today and i feel like the reason why i can i can have as much wisdom as I do is because it's not mine. Just a few weeks ago, I was sitting across from this guy named Bryce. We were having dinner. He's a Christian DJ from Orlando, Florida. And I was just telling him how cool it was that he's built up this, this, this name as a Christian DJ. He won't DJ a wedding that's not Christian. He, you know, only listens to, to Christian music. He's just a super cool guy. And I'm like, it's really cool that you've built all this. Like you're going big places. Yeah. And without even thinking about it, he 
he said, I didn't build it, God did. And I think that that really stuck out to me because everything that I have, everything that people see, um, everything that I've been able to do, it's, it's not mine. And the Savior healed me so that I could heal others. And I'm, I'm a big believer of that because I'm just a kid with a speech impediment who, for some reason, God decided to give public speaking abilities to, right? Like, in what, in what world does that make sense that this kid who, who couldn't even introduce himself in first grade is now traveling the country, speaking, speaking to people all, all over, youth all over? It doesn't make sense. You know, why is this kid who has zero creative ability, by the way, like zero creative ability, all of a sudden gifted the idea, the, the, the natural ability to, to see and to create and to, and to start creative movements to help others. It it doesn't make sense. And the only, the only way that it does is because God gave it to me. And he didn't give it to me so that I could prosper. He gave it to me so that I could help others. And that's, that's something that I'm trying to recognize more. That's something that I'm trying to work towards more. And just understanding that and remembering in everyday life that, that none of this, none of, none of the stuff that I've, I've helped in building is mine. It's, it's God's. And it's the same thing when I, when I go and I, enter into a family's house to help them with their technology or to talk to their son or daughter. It's the same thing when I walk into a speaking engagement and it's the same thing when I'm filming a video series. It's, it's not, it's not mine. And so in, in every way did, did God and, and my savior, Jesus Christ help me live life bigger because they are live life bigger. They are, they are all of it. They've built it and they've blessed it and they've continued continue to make it a movement that that is is growing and is is becoming something that that is helping just tons and tons of of their children and that's that's the only that's the only right answer i'm so proud of you smith i'm so proud of you and what you're doing and it reminds me of enoch who in Moses, he said when he was called of God, he said, I am but a lad and all the people hate me for I'm slow of speech. Yet look what he did. He helped translate an entire city and he helped purify the people so much that, that God could not keep them from his presence. So I know that Heavenly Father is going to continue to do amazing things through you to bless other people's lives. And I hope you remember that. I hope you remember when the dark times come and the temptations come because they will. And and life is an ongoing journey. And every day we're trying to be better and improve. And because you're doing such incredible things, Satan's going to come at you even more because he doesn't really care about the the quiet ones, the ones, not the quiet ones. He doesn't really care about the people that, you know, are, are not wanting to do big things and and are just kind of complacent with He's going after the ones that are making a difference in the world that will change lives. Members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, he wants us and he wants you. But with Heavenly Father, oh man, we can do incredible things. And I just know, and I hope you remember that Heavenly Father is on your side and he's stronger than Satan. Light is greater than darkness. And through everything you are doing, man, I am just going to be just standing from the sidelines, just cheering you on so loud and so hard. I think you have the most incredible mission. And I love that as an 18-year-old, you already know what that is. You've recognized it. And you're letting Heavenly Father make more of your life than you ever could on your own. And by the way, you do not have a dad bod. <laughs> People can't see on this podcast. You are darling. And well, and honestly, it, no way. But by the way, but dad bods are awesome too. I mean, I'm I'm married to a dad and dad bods are the are the best. But I I know you are going to just be an incredible father someday. And because of your struggles, because of what you went through. So I'm just so grateful that you took time for coming on the podcast today, for all the good you are doing. 
tell people one more time where they can go to learn more about your mission, your nonprofit, and and the name of the program that's coming out right now to give us all the details. Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at live.life.bigger or at protect strong. P-R-O-T-E-C-H-T. So it's like protect, but also protect. So P-R-O-T-E-C-H-T-S-T-R-O-N-G. Or you can go online to www.livelifebigger.org, Facebook at the Live Life Bigger Foundation. Um, and yeah, the the workshop coming out is called the Raising Kids in Combat. I partnered with one of my good friends who's an addiction interventionist, and we teach seven proactive principles to prevent addiction, seven steps to removing fear and stigma and shame from your home. He teaches five difficult conversations that you should be having with your kids and how to have them. Where is that? Sorry. Sorry, where is that? Where can people go to find that? That's the Raising Kids in Combat. So we'll be launching that digitally. We're planning on October 14th. So Okay, uh, so coming up. Yep, very soon. That is awesome. And that will will people be able to link to that through either the Protect Instagram or through the Live Life Bigger? Will you have like yeah. links to yeah, that? Yeah, if you're following on Instagram, you'll see it probably more times than you'll want to. So <laughs> no awesome. way. I think that is so awesome. Okay, perfect. Well, I hope that I hope that parents, if you're listening, that you'll check out Smith Alley's Instagram pages and support this amazing kid and everything he's doing to help protect your kids because we are all just in this together. We're all just in this together to help each other home. So I think you are doing incredible things, Smith. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today and again for all the good you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much.